0: Hey, let me ask you a question. How many believe that church is a hospital or church is a boot camp? Ah. Oh, you guys were on it right away. What do you say? It's both, right? And so we've been through this, talking through this series called Taking Ground. and, And depending on how you view church, and depending maybe on where you are in your walk with God, you might view church one of two ways. You might view it as a hospital. Or you might say, I'm here because of training, because I have a future vision and a future hope. Well, in the hospital setting, I, I've, I've had people, and even recently, and uh, just a conversation with a friend of ours, and he is in uh, uh, training people, helping people. He's in the psychology and, the, and, and helping people deal with deeper issues. You know, when he hears about taking ground, he said, some of the people I work with, taking ground for them would be just to be able to come into a building like this without being dreadfully fearful and shaking the hands of a couple strangers. That, to them, would be taking ground. For some of us, like I've been talking to Heidi recently. Heidi's graduating Cal Poly. She's heading off to China to teach school in China. And through that, hoping to be an influence for other people, and influence for other students. So taking ground, when I talk about it, we will this morning, what that means I was listening to Courageous Leadership, the amazing message by Bill Hybels this week, and he said, leadership is taking people from here to there. Some of us, just because of hurts and wounds, taking ground to us would be going from here to here. There's emotional pain, there's fear, there's abandonment, the idea of being able to sing a song about God being faithful when the whole time you're singing, but in your heart you're saying, I I have been disappointed by God, I've been hurt. By church, I've been hurt. And so for you to sing that even this morning was maybe going from here to there. But in taking ground and moving forward and as leaders helping people move from the place where you're at to a higher place, a deeper place, a stronger place, even in relationships. Some when I say taking higher ground, you might even say uh, it's for my business. I need a business strategy. I've been floundering at a certain level and I need a strategy from God to help my business go from here here to there. How many believe God gives strategies? And I'm not in here to talk a business plan this morning, but about the idea that God can speak to you and me on how to take ground in our life. So here, here we are this morning and uh, about talking about taking ground. In courageous leadership and taking people from here to there, it, it involves vision. Say Vision. Most people that are going to a higher place begin to get a vision of what life could look like in a different way. What life could look like if I made some changes, if I made some adjustments. What life could look like if if I maybe got a new member of my team to help me think in a different way. Some people to go from here to there might be, I-, I just need some instruction, some prayer, some ministry to break this stinking spirit of fear off my life. I, I want to go from here to there, and they get a vision of what life would look like if things were different. For you and me, vision's got a couple different definitions depending on what you're going after, what, what you're pursuing, but one is vision is dreaming with God. It's seeing his intentions through the eyes of justice and compassion, So when we say uh, in the book of Acts, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and he began to give them dreams and visions. And then we can see in the Old Testament, people that walked with God, they began to get visions of how God wanted to change things or do things. They'd get his heart, they'd get his eyes, they'd get his thinking about how to make change. Vision can also be a picture of how things could change and become better. It's a picture of a brighter future that creates passionate people and a sanctified discontentment that says we can't stay where we are. You, you walk into a place, you say this is good, but when you look around, you say this could change, this could get better. I went with Rob Cooper who's been a builder his whole life. We, we went over to Kenya last year together. We were walking through the school where Shadrach is and, and Rob's saying, this insulation, we, we, this, this metal roof, it's hot in here. We could do insulation here. We could make changes here. He starts dreaming out loud from a contractor's perspective. He sees it through the eyes of vision and how things could get better. And so you and me go through our lives and, and grow in Christ and start dealing with some of the internal things. And then when we look around us, we can say, this is how this could change. We can take it from here to there. We can take ground. We can make this better. We can make our school atmosphere better. If parents got together, if the PTA was stronger, if we had better leadership, this school could thrive. It's what happened when James and his team planted the church in Mississippi, and some of the members of the church started getting involved in the school board. They said, hey, what's wrong with this budget? All the money's going to football and new sports equipment. Nothing's going to band or computers or trying to... Why is the emphasis so strong on sports in this school and not on the academic lifting of the students? Rattled a bunch of people. But guess what? The budget started shifting. The academics of the school in Laurel began to increase. Instead of going under state sponsorship, they were able to raise the, the grade levels. They were able to raise the standard in the school because somebody said it could get better. Somebody came in with a vision from God and said, what happens on Friday nights under the lights isn't everything that determines the strength or the, 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 uh, the reputation of our schools. And in the heart, people get vision and they want to see change. Have you ever been there? So this is, vision comes really in communion with God. Acts 2 says this, It shall come to pass, the last day, says God, that I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Read the yellow with me. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, that's on men and women both, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Dreams and visions, it's not just for ethereal pictures of floating, you know, clouds over blue expanses. That's very, very important and that's rich. But there's another component to vision that says, I can see change. I can see things happening at a different level, in a different realm. I can see order here. I can see happier people. I can see people coming together in community to solve problems. Those are visions that God gives as well. Amen? So I want to tell a little story before I dive in. Many of you know this is now Bishop Shadrach Golo. He came here to Agape in the early 90s, and he was uh, at Cal Poly. He came here on a, an exchange, an agricultural exchange. He was working for a nonprofit in Kenya. When we first met, he, uh, I saw him one time. He came in his suit, and he was dancing in the back of the church. And I was still an associate pastor, and when I watched him dance, and the enthusiasm, I said, i got to get to know this man. We became great friends. He stayed at our house for a while, but his first job at the church was janitor. And so for a while, Shadrach was earning money to go to school. He's washing dishes on campus, and he's pushing the janitor cart around our church, helping out because that's where we needed the help. But inside of him, it was the dream of being a bishop and raising up churches and helping kids in Africa. And so he graduates in 94, he goes back, we bring a team in 96, we begin to partner and and he begins to dream and we begin to dream together, God's dream for for what could happen there. And so this is Luanda, Yuranga, about in 2003 we took a team there. This is about 10 miles or so from where President Obama's family grew up and this place, nobody had done any kind of evangelism since the 80s. But this is where Shadrach was from. He had a dream to go back now that he grew in the Lord. Now that he understood some things about God's nature and character, he said, let's go back to Luanda and I, I want to do something there. And so we set up a tent and we went for a whole week and we did all kinds of music and fun stuff and, and outreach and, and our, our, some of our team came and his team came and Man, it was just an amazing amazing week about I I probably the f- the first Sunday of launching the church there were 600 people at the church. I don't know how many received Christ that week, but we probably baptized 200 people. It was one of the most fun times of my whole life in ministry and missions because it was like fishing from a trout pond. <laughs> it was you throw in the bait and here they come and and, and God was just moving in such miraculous ways. Well, uh, here's some of our team, that's my son and Mike Robeson, some of the other, and uh, whatever Lisa was dressed like there as a character. She's got a lifeguard shirt on, I think that's appropriate, but we, we prayed for people, there was deliverances, people got delivered from demonic stuff, strongholds in their life, and then you guys built a church there. We bought land and you built a church, and that's Agape Church in Nakuru, or I mean Luanda right there, and at that church, that says Agape Church, the Holy Spirit Zone, that's what he put. It. This is the Holy Spirit zone, and you're welcome. And, and so that's the church we built. There's Pastor Beth and some of the people of the church. One of the community leaders, I had a picture of her. I didn't put it in here, but I remember about, the. I think it was the third time we were out there. We had bought the church or built the church and started going. She came across the field and she said, you don't know me, but you'll never know the difference this church made in this community. You will never know the atmosphere that shifted since the church came in. So... Here we go, then the idea of lifting people and taking people from here to there. When we would watch from the church, the field, we'd see women and often children walking down the dirty road to the muddy river to bring water back. And usually like in many developing countries, there's places just upstream where the cattle are drinking and then where you're washing clothes. And then the easy path down to go get water, drinking water might be here. And so they're carrying up jugs of water back to their homes, back to their houses, and, and God spoke to us, let's put a well in there to, to drill a well. Now, how many know when you try and do things for God, it sounds good sometimes on paper, but when you start to do it, there's opposition. Anybody experience that? It sounds like a good idea when you're sitting back here in America, but when you're de- dealing with the developing nation and you say, let's go drill a well, it's a little different than we thought. So in 2007 or 8, I was over there, and we went into Kisumu and we met with a well driller and uh, started talking about the details. And turns out that the, the drill rigs, there wasn't many on that side of uh, Kenya, and the one that they were connected to was broken. So we did, Shadrach spent lots of time trying to find guys, couldn't find anybody to get a drilling rig out there, and it was pretty hard, solid ground. So we decided to dig a hand dug well 100 feet deep, hoping to find water. And so we put up $6,000 initially. The first guy started digging, and it was hard. It was difficult, and he had a couple people, and he took off with $2,000 and quit the well. We had a new pastor out there. The first pastor of the church that we put in place had some marriage issues. He went back to the city. Pastor David was the second pastor. wasn't real confrontational. And so the, the project stalled in the middle of it, and finally, they got a second digger, and he started digging, and he lasted a little while, but his, his tubes that he was pouring, that as you dig, you start sliding in those tubes that hold the well back. Those things were substandard. There was different ideas, confusion, and the well stopped. And then there comes a point where you pray, I pray, opposition project to the project. God, do we just quit? Bad idea. What do we do? Do they just keep carrying water? We're halfway around the world, it's hard to manage, Shadrach's trying, he's four hours away. I mean, those kind of things that happen in every project, it seems like there's what what Paul said, he said, for a great and effective door is open to me and there are what? Any adversaries. And so I believe in your heart, my heart, you've seen it, maybe you've experienced it, The dreams get aborted because there's difficulties in fulfilling it. There's stuff that comes against it. There's confusion. There's challenges. There's differing in ideas. There's the naysayers that say, ah, that's, not, that's not what I do. That's ah, a bad idea. If it was me, I'd do it a different way. I'd, I'd do it some other, you know, some other way. Sometimes those are constructive. Sometimes those are really, really divisive and you just shut up and leave me alone. We got a plan. We're, we're going this direction. But Paul said those things even happened in his ministry and they happen when we're trying to take ground for God. So that's Pastor Shadrach. To finish this well, we're gonna need a tower and, and get that paid for. And uh, finally, after... It took us almost two years, and our church raised a bunch of money, and Don and Gwen Bullard put money up for that, and I think we raised over 10000 to go drill that well and dig that well. Finally, at about 75 feet, water came in, and it came in a lot, and that well survived even uh, the, the, the drought that we were in, and so praise God, we finally hit water, and here we're back to dedicate it in 2010. Now, the deal with this dedication is they dug the hole, and, and Bishop Shadrach thought it was a, I have oil in my hand. He thought it was a good idea that I would go down in the well and, and, and dedicate the well. And so you can see Pastor Richard's face in the background there. And, and, and Pastor, Pastor Beth is looking down the hole and saying, what? And I'm saying, see, see that rope right there with the knot in it? That's where it broke before, it's a couple of places. I'm saying, there's not a snowflakes chance in Kenya that I'm going down that that, that well. So they volunteered this guy and... and and he went down into the well and put some oil. I, don't, I said, why can't we just do it from the top? I mean, just a couple drops of oil. But he dedicated the well, and, and still today that well is producing, and that well is meeting a need in that village. And, 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 I'm, and that's what you drilled. That's what you did because of our, our tithes and offerings and making a huge difference in people's lives. And it comes with vision, and it comes with strategy, but it also comes with endurance. When you're taking ground, there's going to be opposition. Amen? We're facing it in, in Santa Maria right now. Uh, Mike Robeson, they're trying to get the church going. There's been, we wanted to open it in January. Then it was supposed to be next Sunday, February 25th. There's county issue, or city issues. There's stuff, but we're overcoming. We're getting very, very close. You just don't want to abort the dream that God gives you. Amen? Amen. So in the next few minutes, I just want to talk about Nehemiah's life. And he, he's, when I think about taking ground in the Bible, his is the name that stands out to me. And let's just talk a little about him, and then we're going to just talk about a few points that he encountered when he was rebuilding. What I like about Nehemiah, he's not a prophet, and he's not a priest. Nehemiah is a guy, and he's a guy that got taken captivity in the Babylonian captivity. God prophesied because of Israel's rebellion that he was going to turn them over to another nation for 70 years. And the Babylonians came and they invaded Jerusalem and they hauled off a bunch of people into captivity and Nehemiah was one of them. And after 70 years, a new king comes and he releases them to go back to to their homeland and most of them go, but some of them didn't. And Nehemiah was one of the guys that decided to stay because he had a pretty good gig. He was working for the king. He was his food taster and his wine taster, probably got some pretty good wine. But his job was this. If they try and poison the king, they're going to poison you first, Nehemiah. And so he's the food taster, the wine taster. And if somebody's uh, got a, you know, a plot against the king and they're trying to get that, that poisoned food in, it's going to show up in Nehemiah first. So he's serving the king, working with the king. But what happened is people started coming back from Jerusalem with stories. Now, Nehemiah remembered it in its glory. Nehemiah remembered when the presence of God would fill the temple and there was the feast days and the feast of tabernacles and people would flock to Jerusalem and there was food and trumpets and celebration and declaration and the priest would be preaching the word of God which would come alive. He remembers those days of glory. But now because of 70 years, here comes the other reports. Actually, scripture says in Nehemiah 1, his brethren came back. His brother said this, it's not like it used to be, Nehemiah. Matter of fact, the walls are burned. the The, the temple's a mess. There's sacred things have been stolen from it. It, it. It's just not what it used to be. And Nehemiah began to get a burden. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Nehemiah chapter one, one through four. It says this: "Hen and I, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem." They said, the survivors who are left from the captivity and the problems are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem was also broken down. Its gates are burned with fire. The yellow says, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The, The thing impacted him so much that he wasn't just saying, bummer. I'm living here in the palace of this king. That's that's really a shame what happened back there. But it gripped him. It gripped him to the core where he said, I I wept for many days because I remember what it used to be like. I remember what the glory of the temple was like when we would worship and we would sing. And the presence of God, that even the stories of that glory filling it, people couldn't even stand because of his presence. Yeah, I remember that and something gripped him to the point that he says something has to change and something has to be done. This is John Stott. He's an Anglican evangelical leader. And, and he, he, he made great strides in helping to unite the evangelicals in, in England. He said, indignation and compassion form a powerful combination. They're indispensable to vision and therefore to leadership. You ever been moved with indignation, a righteous indignation that says this isn't right? Right? How about right now in our country? There's many fronts where righteous indignation's rising. The Me Too movement that says, hey, this sexual harassment, this sexual abuse in silence, this sexual abuse in power over women and trying to to exploit them and manipulate them, it's got to stop. On the other hand, in political realms, we see behind-the-scenes dealings and the corruption that's starting to come to light in political parties. And, and, and we're seeing it in different places. And now, with a mass shooting a couple days ago, there's high school students on the street saying enough is enough. Something's got to change. Something's got to be different. When righteous indignation rises in people, they say, we got to take back ground. we got to make a change. And I believe that's in the culture right now. And if the church is taking the lead in some of those things, and if the church is a voice in some of those things, we can see advances for the kingdom of heaven as well. Amen? So Nehemiah comes. Chapter 1, he gets the burden. By chapter 4, he's spying out the land. He starts to get the team together. King Artaxerxes, he gives him a piece of paper and says, you go back and tell him I sent you and I'm going to resource you so you're not doing it in your own strength. If they mess with you, you have authority to be here. And so Nehemiah goes back, spies out the walls, starts getting families together, starts getting the different tribes together. says, we can do this. And they begin the work of rebuilding. Well, in rebuilding, again, the passage, there's a great effect of doors open to me, but there are many adversary, adversary, adversaries. I get it out. And um, there's many of them. And so he begins to build, and guess what? The the mockers show up, the antagonists show up, the resistors show up, the people that had a different vision for what Jerusalem's going to look like, they showed up, and they began to talk to him. Nehemiah 4, 6, So we built the wall, he said, and the entire wall was joined together about half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sembalat and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, heard that the wall of Jerusalem was being restored, the gaps were beginning to be closed, That they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and became, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So there's tactics of the enemy, but then there's these tactics that God raises up to help refute them and to back them off. And if you're taking ground, you got to be aware of what are the tactics of the enemy trying to stop me. And God, what kind of tactics, what kind of strategy are you giving me to keep this thing moving forward and take ground? Amen? So opposition comes when the wall's halfway up. And it usually comes that way. You start out, great guns. You have a vision for business, or you have a vision, ministry, or we want to do this with the youth or in the community. We're, We're starting a sister serving sisters that has happened successfully in our church, and, and, and with parts, members of our church. And so you go in to confront or help heal an issue and there is going to be opposition. And scripture says here that the enemy comes to stop it by what? Causing confusion. You ever been in a project that seemed real clear when you started, but then there's confusion? When we went to Santa Maria, we went to the city first and got approval for this and this and that. And how about parking? We got that covered. We, we had a whole list. Looked like it was all good. They went back later in the city. Some officials, well, now nah, you can't really do that. Well, the zoning, well, and all of a sudden, they created confusion to try and mess with the plan to move it forward. And so confusion comes where people begin to have differing of ideas, where the authority is not clear who's leading the project. Your job is to help support, maybe not to lead. Somebody else is in that position. And so confusion comes and, and stops what God wants to do. And projects get aborted because of it. I've been in projects where strife got in and arguing started and all that, and I just walk away. It's not worth it. I'm not going to do this. could have been a God-breathed thing to to really help somebody. I, I believe there's been thousands of ideas of God's release to the world and to the church to help relieve issues, to solve issues, but we won't move it forward because of confusion, because of things get too messy, and we allow those visions to be aborted. So we got to move through. And what did Nehemiah do to overcome it? He set a watch, said, set a watch. He set a watch. Come on, not this watch. He didn't set this watch. A watch is vigilant prayer people. A watch is people with weapons that said, no, they're not going to do that. They're not going to mess with us. We're going to hold fast to the vision God gave us. So we go down to verse 10. And Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. There's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said they'll neither know know nor see anything till we come into their midst, and they'll kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near the camp, they came and they told us 10 times, whatever place you turn, they'll be upon us. Therefore, Nehemiah hears his tactic, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall Say this with me, at the openings, at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with swords, spears, and bows. The tactic of the enemy, two things, lots of rubbish. There's lots of rubbish. You ever move forward in things and, and there's just rubbish? Like even moving forward in my own life? Got to get the rubbish out of here in order to make progress in certain things. Even in ministry, one reason, pure desire and, and, and groups to help people get, get stuff taken care of, dealt with in here. Let's get the rubbish out so we can move to higher places in God to to, uh, uh, move forward without the guilt and shame so we can help other people. Anybody with me this morning? And the other thing the enemy used is fear. And after a while, they're even saying this. Every place we turn, they're gonna be there. They've told us 10 times. Whatever we do, they're gonna come and they're gonna kill us. And so Nehemiah, his strategy is, I'm going to set people with weapons where the gaps are. And I think that's significant. There's places in my life and your life maybe where things are solid, where I'm strong, where I'm walking tight with God, where I have confidence, but there's openings. There's gaps sometimes where in frustration or anger, that button gets pushed and things come back, you know, in full bloom. The old feelings come up. Lust can be stirred up again. And Nehemiah said, this is where I'm going to set my watchman, where those openings are, to keep those things closed so the enemy has no place and has no access. Does that make sense to you this morning? So he set a guard there, and that's prayer, and that's, you know, being intentional about stopping these places where the enemy tries to steal vision. Martin Luther King said this, like anybody, I'd like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over it, and I've seen the promised land. I might not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. I put that slide in there because sometimes when the project or the plan or the the, the purpose from God hangs in the balance, you need courage. Say courage. courage. Louder. Courage. And, and, and to really see things move forward, you meet people that said, I'm going to die fighting this thing till it gets through. They're sold out on the inside. I'm standing. I'm not backing up, giving up. This thing is in me enough that I'll stand here if it costs me my life to get it done. And those are the, that's the kind of hard attitude that helps take ground in the kingdom. Okay, verse 14, I'm almost done here. And I looked and rose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight. The role of leadership sometimes in moving forward to vision is helping to shift focus. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Don't be afraid of them, but the fight is for your family, your sons and your daughters, for a future that's going to make a difference. Get your attention off the, the threats of the enemy. Get your attention, your focus back on what God said, and stand up and fight, Amen. And when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had brought their plot to nothing, all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work, verse 16. so it was, from that time on, half of the servants worked at construction, other half-held spears, shields and bows. In other words, Nehemiah said, "To move forward, I need people that are progressing in labor, but I also need intercessors. I need people to stand ground." for our church to move forward. We need administrators, people that are teaching, people that are involved in working. But we need intercessors praying against the attack of the enemy and the strategies of the enemy that try and come to divide us. Anybody with me? And so we need... Just not good thinking, good logic, good reasoning, good planning is going to move Agape forward to make a difference. It's intercessors that are binding and praying against the work of the enemy in people's lives. They're going to help drive us forward and make us successful as a ministry in a church. Amen? So taking ground, tactic three, the, 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 the job of leaders, the cry of leaders, no fear, believe and keep praising. And he said to the nobles, to the leaders and the rest of them, don't be afraid, focus, remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight. The role of leaders, the role of intercessors, refocus your direction, not back on what all the enemy's doing, but on what God is saying. 17, So those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens, they loaded themselves. So with one hand, they worked at construction, and with the other hand, they held a weapon. And every one of the builders had a sword at his side. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And then I said to the nobles, the rulers, the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Whenever you hear that sound of the trumpet, rally us there. Our God will fight for us. We called this first quarter of 2018 the season of unity. And we have two church services and people are going different directions. Some people in first service never knew what my wife looked like because she, she doesn't always make first service or she's working in first service. We We, we made a decision to... To, to blow the trumpet and try and bring our church together for a future. To, to blow the trumpet, say there's going to be a family time. We want us to fellowship. We need to be together. We're, we're spread out from Santa Maria to Paso Robles. It, it's hard sometime for fellowship. The sound of the trumpet was, hey, we need to come together and we need to worship together. And when we do that, when we're united, our God, he'll be in our midst. Our God will do the work. Did you sense his presence this morning? I mean, our worship team, they've been talking and strategizing and praying, and and just the presence of God is coming sweet, and that's when we're united. And so there's time to blow the trumpet and say, there's attacks going on, but we're coming together for prayer. There's attacks going on, but we're coming together and united to support one another and to worship together, and our God is going to fight for us. Amen? Amen? Tools in one hand, weapons in the other and the whole idea of that the trumpet can rally us together. And so the wall was finished in, on the 25th day. They, they rebuilt that whole wall in 52 days. And that wasn't a contractor. That was a man with a vision. A cupbearer that had a vision and a mission from God, endorsed by God. He pulled them together. And the enemies, they perceived that it was, the work was done by God. And they eventually gave up and bailed out. Nelson Mandela said this at the end of his run. He said, we have laid the foundation for a better life. Things that were unimaginable a few years ago have become an everyday reality. I belong to the generation of leaders for whom the achievement of democracy was the defining challenge. When you read his story and the effects of apartheid on a nation and a whole continent, and they took that on. And within a few years, with much sacrifice, imprisonment, he stands at the end and said, we've laid a foundation. We're going to take this culture from here to there. We're going to take people from here to there. We're going to deliver the ones that are bound and give them opportunity. We're taking them from here to there. And he looks back and said, this is its going to be, it was unimaginable a few years ago, but now look what the Lord has done in our midst, How many want that for our culture and our country that's in confusion and divided and fighting? We can get a clear direction from God and help move things forward at the local level and, at the, uh, and, and beyond. Stand with me. You all right? I know I'm going fast here at the end, but hopefully you're getting something out of this. Philippians 3. Come on, let's read this together. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on That you're pressing to take ground, that you're moving forward with the assignment that God's giving you, that your dreams will not be aborted, that your purpose will not be diminished. You won't get sidelined, sidetracked, taken out of your purpose, that God will speak to you whether you're down here and going here or whether you're up here and going to the moon, that God will continue to have his, his way, his dreams being just moved forward in your life. And Father, I thank you for vision. I thank you for taking ground. I thank you for courage amongst us. It's one thing to stand up here and preach it boldly, but I have to face the man in the mirror myself. When I'm tired, when things are confusing, occasionally when I get offended, how that all stuff works, God, just to back me off of what you've called us to do, called me to do. And Lord, I thank you for courage and I thank you for tenacity and a willingness and a desire in our personal lives to get rid of the rubbish and to take ground, to move forward in you. The dreams would be birthed and dreams would be renewed. The purpose would be affirmed that we'd continue to move forward, God, as a church and a people in a culture that's so confused. Help us, Lord, to be salt. Help us, Lord, to be light. Help us to be difference makers. We give you praise for that.